I'm Paul DeGarabedian, Senior Media Analyst for Comscore with my many screens, Big Picture Podcast. This week, I'm so excited to have Claudia Puig on the show. Claudia is the president of the Los Angeles Film Critics Association and a longtime critic on NPR's Film Week. She was recently featured in the Los Angeles Times as one of the 14 film critics making media more inclusive. In IndieWire, as one of 20 Latin Americans making a difference in American independent film, and is the winner of the Roger Ebert Award for Excellence in Film Criticism from the African American Critics Association. Wow, Claudia. I mean, that's just one small portion of your bio. What an incredible career. We've known each other for a very long time. We worked together uh, for years when uh, you would call me and we would talk about box office trends. Welcome to the show, Claudia. I'm so glad to have you here today. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So how did we first uh, meet, Claudia? We met through John Creer at Exhibitor Relations. That's right. My old boss. R.I.P. Yeah. Before you, I used to call him up to get box office data. And then he introduced me and you were like this young upstart. (laughs) And I was relatively young, too. (laughs) But uh, yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, is he going to learn everything that John Creer (laughs) knows. And yes, you have. (laughs) You know, I could, I could only hope to learn that much, you know, from him. And I was at the LA Times and uh, I was covering film and my job was to like on the weekends to get box office, write box office stories. And uh, so that's how we met. And uh, I thought you were a young whippersnapper. But we were all younger then. I remember too, then you were at USA Today and I remember you would, you would call and we'd have the greatest discussions and we had talked for years And I think it was like 20 years or something after we first started talking on the phone that we actually met in person or something. It was a a really long time. And I don't remember where it was, but I feel like it might have been like at Show West or something like that. Everybody meets people at Show West and now Cinema. That was really cool. Yes, at USA Today, I called you for for your comments a a little deeper than going just doing the box office, but talking about trends in – you know, in the box office and in the film industry. So we've been, and then we've been on at KPCC together. Sometimes when I'm there doing film week, right. you'll be there too. And I think it's really interesting because your background as a journalist, knowing the business side of the business, I think is really important. And the fact that now it seems to me that you become like the go-to person for film criticism, uh, reviews, not just, I, and what is the difference between a reviewer and a critic? I guess, a critic is someone who who really digs into the heart of what a movie is about, dissects what it's all about, and figures out the movie for us. Whereas a reviewer, I think, just kind of recaps the movie for the reader. Or what is it? Yeah, I guess. The terms are used pretty interchangeably. You know, you're writing a review, but I, I, people have you drawn that distinction. Like a reviewer is somebody who just doesn't give you as deep of insight, I think. Um, and it's a little bit. But, you know, it's all fine. It's just semantics. So, (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, I think what's really interesting about you is that you go from that business side, mainly focused, then you are a critic and you become a senior programmer at film festivals. I really want to talk to you, A, about your film festival background, how that happened, but B, how the pandemic has impacted the way of creating a film festival in today's very crazy world because 
Film festivals are generally a communal situation. Absolutely. Screening, hanging out, talking about movies. First, talk about your experience uh, with film festivals. And then let's talk about the nuts and bolts of how that has changed. Sure. Well, as a critic, um, I was often asked to be on film festival juries. So that's kind of how my interest in the whole that world. I mean, I would cover Toronto or cover Sundance as a reporter and not as much as a critic uh, when I was at USA Today because they weren't really looking. They didn't do reviews out of festivals, but I would be talking to directors and, and actors and, and writing about, you know, whatever was the buzz. And then I was also separately asked to be a juror. So I think the very first one I ever went to was like for a film festival that no longer exists in Jackson Hole. And then I was a film festival juror for the Zurich International Film Festival. And then I've been a juror I think I say from Ashland to Zurich, from A to Z, but you know, in between like Chile and Miami and Seattle, just all over the place. And I love film festivals and I love the process of being a juror. And so it's not an uncommon path for someone to go from being a critic to being a programmer because you're watching a lot of movies. It's the skills are very similar. You know, you're, you're assessing movies. What, what kind of an audience will this appeal to? So when I left USA Today five years ago, I kind of had three areas that I was really interested in. One was teaching and one was writing speeches. And the other one was film festival programming. I've gotten a chance to do all three in the last five years. So it's been great. I did um, some speech writing for Cheryl Boone Isaacs at the Academy. And I teach currently, teach some college classes. But it was the film festival programming that I did immediately after leaving USA Today. I went to work as the program director for Napa Valley Film Festival. And then from there, I became the program director for the Mendocino Film Festival. And I've also been the program director for a film festival in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Then most recently, I was a senior programmer at AFI this past year. So I've seen how to do a an old kind of film festival, you know, old style, the, the one we all know and love, and then also learned how to program a virtual film festival, which is what we did at AFI this year. Do you think that something is lost there or things gained? I mean, in other words, you know, being at, I've been to film festivals, not as a juror or a, a programmer, but I've been to film festivals as a viewer or a guest. And I find that there's a great dynamic there of just like-minded film enthusiasts who are together they see the movie together. There might be a Q&A after you're in the same room. It's that communal immersive thing. And then, of course, the parties and just or even at some film festivals, you're on a bus with people going to screening. Yeah, being shuttled from one place to another. Yeah. And you really literally were unable to do that. How did you shift gears? And do you think there's some good things that are going to come out of that that you would like to see remain? Is the virtual festival a thing that is viable and going forward, at least for the foreseeable future, it's going to have to be that way. But down the road, you think it'll be a hybrid model? I think it will be a hybrid model. Yeah. I do think that, you know, we'll see some changes. I think everybody misses the old <laughs> in-person, you know, where you're all together, you're in a, you've got that, that festival fever that happens, you know, you're, where everyone's talking about a certain movie and you're talking to people out in the lobby, you're talking to people as you pass them on the streets of Park City or Telluride or whatever. Everybody misses that. It can't be duplicated virtually. The camaraderie that you feel and the sense that, you know, if you're watching something for the first, you know, this is the first screening of something and that excitement that you feel that you've discovered something, you know, all of that. However, I think there are some positives to the virtual experience. One of them that I thought was really potent with AFI this year was that in terms of the filmmaker 
connection. And, and oftentimes you have filmmakers, you know, you have filmmakers from all over the world. And depending on the size of the film festival or even what's going on with filmmakers, they can't necessarily attend the festival. Sometimes they can, often they can, but sometimes they can't. And again, the, for the smaller regional festivals, it's expensive to bring all the filmmakers in and they just may not want to go to that particular place. They've got other things going on. The logistics, right? So that is one thing the virtual space really does kind of democratize and make available is at AFI, we had 100% involvement from all our filmmakers. So I do Q and A's a lot. And of course I prefer to do them in person, but if you can do them, you know, via zoom and you do, there's a certain intimacy that comes from that where you see, usually it's a person's house. You kind of see their life. You might see their pets, you might see their kids or whatever. And I think there's a certain openness that people might speak a little bit more openly and honestly when they're sitting at home in front of a screen as opposed to on a stage in front of 500 people, there is a certain value to the Zoom Q&A or, you know, the virtual Q&As and logistically and also, you know, maybe content wise. So that is, you know, for the for the person who is watching, it might be, you know, you're maybe you won't get the full honesty, but you'll get the, you know, you'll get to go up and shake the hand of the person. So that's missing, obviously. But I do think there are some positives to be gained from it. And then some of it is, you know, just the ease with which you watch movies, right? You don't have to get on that bus and maybe not make it in or be in the cold in the snow as you would be in Sundance. You can watch it from the comfort of your living room, which is a whole different experience. And we'll, I know we'll talk about that as well. Yeah. And I, that may be a perfect transition to talk about the consumption of entertainment, the venue matters a lot with movies. So in other words, big screen versus small screen. So you have the virtual experience, which also includes you're watching the movies on a small screen. And I wanted to ask you as a critic, a programmer, somebody just loves and knows film. Do you think the films that you choose would look different or is it impossible to know because of the format, because you're watching a movie on a small screen. And does that give an advantage to certain types of movies where a, a movie with big Vista vision, like a giant screen canvas will be, maybe not have the impact on the small screen as a character driven movie, or does that not matter? Is it the movie itself and not the experience or is the experience and the movie, the viewing experience inextricably tied to the movie? Well, the answer is kind of, or a little bit of, of all, because when you deal with the kinds of films that are shown at film festivals, they tend to be smaller independent films, right? You're not going to see the big franchise movies at a film festival. So some of those movies, you know, are, are not even in the conversation, but there are the movies like Roma, for instance, you know, where it really helps to see it on a big screen, the very, very artful movies. And I think there's an answer for that and that, you know, more and more we're starting to see, and this is where the hybrid element's coming into play. We're starting to see outdoor screenings at film festivals where it's safe. People can be outside, you know, COVID wise or drive-in screenings. So I think that with the hybrid model, you still can have those films, probably maybe a little fewer and farther between because you might only have, say your, your festival lasts for four days, you might, you know, have four possible slots for those bigger movies to watch on the outdoor screen or watch on the drive-in screen. But that's still something. And I do think that a lot of independent films, a lot of festival films are character driven and not necessarily the, the, you know, the movies that require a huge big screen audience experience. So I don't think it's, that's as big of a problem, but I do think there's something about the communal experience of watching a movie together. 
let's say it's a comedy and you're in a, obviously in a room with, in a movie theater and you're getting that electricity in there, the laughter of others. If you have a comedy that you're trying to evaluate at home and it's just you, or you might have, you know, a loved one around to, to watch it with you, can that impact it? In other words, I guess what I'm trying to get at is, are you still able to judge these films the same way? Or does the inability right now to be in a movie theater with a bunch of people and hear the feedback, does that change the dynamic? It does change the dynamic. There's no question it does. But it's funny because as a critic, I have often watched movies in a big theater alone where someone would set up a screening just for you or with three other people. I'll never forget. I saw Zoolander years ago at the Paramount, one of the Paramount theaters. And it was Kenny Turan and his wife and me and my husband. There were like four of us, this giant, the, the Sherry Lansing. And, you know, we heard our little laughs. <laughs> I still love Zoolander. I mean, it's one of my all time favorite comedies. And I remember once seeing another movie where I was alone, it was a comedy and I just heard my own little yuck yucks and it was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but at least I got to see it on a big screen. So I think it's more that it's not so much the people around you, I think, as much as the experience of seeing it the way the filmmaker meant for it to be seen. And do you get filmmaker feedback? I mean, I know you're right there in the trenches working with you're involved with filmmakers all the time. And I've always said this for years, and maybe just I think this and it's not really true, but most of the filmmakers I know, even if it's an intimate movie or a small scale movie or a character study, every filmmaker I know wants to at least see their film on a big screen at some point. Absolutely. Every filmmaker. Uh, absolutely. There's no question. However, again, you know, you have a lot of filmmakers signing on to make movies for Netflix, knowing that it's going to be seen on a small screen, but they knowing that it's going to be seen on a much wider, vaster scale, right? You know, and you have some of these filmmakers who make extremely artful movies where it's Scorsese or Cuaron or, you know, any number of auteur directors and they're, you know, signing on with Netflix. So I do think that Yes. Every filmmaker wants you to see it on a big screen and pretty much every critic wants to see it on a big screen. So we're all in, in agreement on that. But the barriers to the big screen are a little, I mean, it's a little, it's a heavier lift to get a movie at least commercially released in theaters nationwide. I mean, even on a small break, like in New York and LA, it's still a much heavier lift. And I, I would say, and this is true too, is that most filmmakers actually they'll want to have their film seen. So if the choice is I either want to have my film on a big screen or not be seen at all, I don't think any filmmaker would think that. Right. Or seen around the world. Or if you have a little indie, there might not be, a, you know, the counterpart to a Lemley or an art house kind of theater in the Midwest. So here's a chance for you to see those films. Here's a chance for you to see more diverse films, films that, you know, have a more inclusive cast that you wouldn't get a chance to see in places, you know, other than maybe the, the major cities. So there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, some of it is about just getting the the eyeballs, getting the exposure to your movie. Sometimes that outweighs the venue or the size of the screen. And I think that's really interesting. And you're right, a, a lot of filmmakers, to get a deal, to be able to make many films, albeit on a small screen or a streaming platform, that may be a, a better alternative, at least right now when, when many of the theaters are not open to capacity. So I think that'll be another thing to look for in the future to see if when movie theaters come back, if we go back to the way things were, 
or again, a hybrid or some combination. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the streaming services, they're not going anywhere, but I still believe that the experience of seeing things in a theater is something we always want to congregate, whether it's at a play, at a concert, at, you know, at a party, at a restaurant, at a movie, we always, as humans want to congregate with other humans. So I think we're going to see that theatrical experience coming back when we can. But the other point to some of the streamers is that, you know, a lot of the filmmakers are given just complete carte blanche to do what they want to do. There isn't, you know, test screenings or there aren't, there's the involvement of all the various folks in um, that there can be at studios. It's a complicated marketplace. And it's a, I think we're going to be continuing to, you know, have both. So that's my phone, and that's the theme to Amelie. Oh, I love it. <laughs> that's like my wife's favorite movie, by the way. Oh, <laughs> I like it. So no, yeah. that's really cool. I love that your phone even is movie-related. That's, that's really interesting. Of course it is. I'll have dreams, and I'll think, you know, afterwards, wait, did I see that in a movie? Wait, you know, it's so infused in my, every, in my DNA now. Oh, you and me both. But I love what you're saying there. That really is important, the unfettered freedom that often filmmakers are given because, well, first of all, streaming companies have a lot of money, a lot of resources. They have virtually unlimited bandwidth. You can watch a movie at any time or any piece of content 24-7. It's just a click away. So I think there is... For each filmmaker, I think they have to decide. I think the best of both worlds would for a filmmaker to have the ability or the option to decide which films of theirs they think would be better served on the small screen and which of theirs they would prefer to see on a big screen. And I think we're going to see a lot of that in the future. And I think what's come out of the pandemic too is that we look back and some movies might have been better served by going straight to streaming. And I know that there are, I think, a lot of discussions in at distribution companies are going to be in the future much more about, on a case-by-case basis, which movies are best served in the theater and which are best served on streaming and not a hard stop on, well, this movie has to be in the theater. This movie has to go streaming. Right. I mean, I know Steven Spielberg has talked a lot about how, you know, this isn't a movie if you can see it on a screen at home or on a TV screen. And I disagree. You know, I mean, it's it's not the venue. It's the content. It's the storytelling. Having said all that, I can't wait to go back to the right. theater and see I mean, a movie. There is nothing screen. like it, but there are other experiences we can have with movies. Yeah. And I think, too, it, it's sort of like if you go to a a museum and you see a Picasso in person or a Van Gogh, it is a totally different experience. And if I look at a Van Gogh or a print somewhere, yeah, yeah. screen or my phone screen, it is not the same thing, but we have to realize the movie making art such as it is, there are lots of options as to how to release those films. Which is a great thing. I mean, really, it's it's a wonderful thing. You think about for families, how expensive it can be to go to the movie theater, get a babysitter, you know, all that stuff. And if you're able, you know, Netflix is, what, $15 a month or something. And, you, you know, so it's, there is a lot of value to those things. But I know there's some people who think the theatrical experience will not return. And I, I disagree. I think it will. Yeah, you're talking to the right guy here. I, I'm not going to disagree with that. <laughs> I think it's definitely going to come back. I think it'll be different. I think it'll be more a more curated experience. Yes. I think we'll, we may wind up with better movies in theaters. Independent movie theaters are struggling. Yes. And there's this idea that, well, when theaters come back, the big chains are only going to run blockbusters because they need to start 
recouping revenue. The money they've lost. Yeah, yeah, the exactly. they've lost. yeah. What do you think the future holds uh, crystal balling it a little bit for the independent? And by the way, there's two, to me, there's two tiers of independent cinemas. There are those that are sort of chain that specialize in independent film. And then there's true mom and pop operations. I think the mom and pops are really going to be in trouble, unfortunately. But, you know, I'd love to see the ones that are the chains that everybody has gone to for art houses. Uh, I, I agree. I think it's going to be a, a tougher road for them. But again, and also because there are so many other options and new ones that have come up during the pandemic, you know, where you have not just Amazon or Hulu or, or Netflix, but you have, you know, Kino Lorber has a streaming service and everybody has sort of their own, there's, there's so many proprietary streaming services. So that's going to be a problem. I, you know, it all, a lot of it will depend on how long this thing lasts. You know, if it's another year before we go into theaters, that's one thing. If it's the summer, you know, that's a, that's a better scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what everybody's looking at. So before we wrap up here, I know you are really at the forefront of inclusion and diversity. Yeah. I actually teach a class, a college class on um, diversity in the media too. And um, it's something I felt strongly about as a, as a Latina, it's something that I've been sort of the beneficiary of diversity programs. I started my journalism career at the LA Times through this minority educational training program. And what I've noticed over the years that I've been doing this, which is like 30 years, the the ebbs and flows and the, you know, sometimes there is a big interest in diversity. You know, it can be spurred on by movements that we just saw, you know, the reckoning of the Black Lives Matter movements. Of course, there's there's a lot of thinking about it right now. And then, you know, maybe 10 years ago, there wasn't. Or when you have a black president, everyone thinks that, you know, racism is over, which of course it wasn't. It is kind of a cyclical thing for companies, but it should not be a cyclical thing. And I, something I feel really strongly about at the LA Film Critics is, you know, bringing in more more people of color, more women, more LGBTQ, disabled, you know, the whole spectrum of what inclusion is and, and equity is. And don't we wind up with better points of view? Absolutely. And better movies and better content by virtue of that? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Yes. I mean, the more you tell a wider spectrum of stories and more we see experiences that aren't the same old, same old experiences, the richer the storytelling is going to be, the richer the experience for the viewer and the the artist making the films. I mean, it's just, it's a no brainer. Movies are so powerful that they can sway people in a good way. Yeah. And if you, if you see a movie that comes from another culture yes. and you fall in love with it, you're suddenly that opens a door, opens people's minds. Much more than a lecture will. Yes. And you see the similarities between you and them and you realize those people aren't necessarily different from you. And you also learn about some of the things that are new to you in terms of, you know, another culture. And I think in many ways, movies are probably the best or one of the best ways that we can, you know, introduce people on television and movies, both uh, to, you know, to other cultures and to accepting other cultures. And I mean, look what happened, what's happened with gay marriage and sort of the acceptance of, you know, uh, the whole gay lifestyle. It's, you know, a lot of it came from, you know, TV shows in which, you know, you saw Will and Grace or you saw Ellen or whatever, you know, you, it just because if you didn't know somebody, then you knew that person, you felt you knew that person on TV. So it's, it you know, it, to me, it's a lot better than, being lectured to or being told, you know, or having some sort of edict. Or saying to somebody, go read this book. Yeah. I mean, the books are great. I mean, I love reading, but yeah, put, a, yeah. put a movie 
can often put those messages in a context that's entertaining, that's moving, that's emotional, that you can relate to. Yeah. And that filmmakers, I think the most important thing is to educate younger people from all cultures and walks of life, financial strata, get them into film. Because it's always, what I find is that musicians had that aha moment. They might've been five years old and heard Elvis or saw a movie when they were young or saw a Spielberg movie and they're like, oh, I want to be a filmmaker or a Tarantino movie. Now I want to be a filmmaker or a Patty Jenkins movie, whoever a filmmaker is. And then look at Parasite. Yeah. How well that did. Parasite, Moonlight, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Rome. I mean, we could name a bunch of them. And I and it just, it also, you know, I, I think it's uh, Roger Ebert that has talked about movies being empathy machines, but they do. They, they really make us more empathetic, more compassionate, more understanding. It's just, you know, and, and books do as well. I mean, I think, but the thing about books is you have to kind of seek them out, whereas movies are, you know, there's a way in which the message gets across. It appeals you on such a visceral level. Yeah. It's a little more passive in a way. I, I don't mean that literally, but with a movie, you just sit back and let it flow. Wash over you. Yeah. Yes, wash exactly. over you in a way yeah. with the written word, it's very impactful, but you have to be a little more, you know, there's a little more uh, involvement there to get it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you have to use your imagination a lot more. Whereas with a really good movie, it's like the filmmakers bringing it to you. But I think you're absolutely right. I think we're going to see more of that and we're going to wrap up here in a couple of minutes, but I, I really want to key off of this because I think it is really important. The fact that so many barriers have been torn down in a good way by movies, preconceived notions about cultures, people, the dynamics of cultures and I think we can all agree that a great movie, like a great bottle of, of booze or a great music can bring people together. You can find people from all walks of life and you just find a way to bond through a common love of a, a, a musical group, a movie, a film director, whatever that may be. But I think young people really need to also know that they too can be directors. They could be superheroes in a movie. Absolutely. They could be writers, run a film empire I think it's about showing people that the doors are not closed, that they're opening and they should. Yes. It's about seeing yourself on screen and that's really important. And it's about knowing, and, and then the next step, it's not just about who's in front of the camera, right? It's about who is behind the camera and in all levels. And so that's where we need to really make a, a greater push for diversity as well. I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's a long road ahead of us. I'll, you know, we've all heard those diversity reports and, you know, you see very few movies, by and about Native Americans, uh, and and a you know fairly small uh, about by and about Latinos, and uh, you know you've seen a sort of a, again ebbs and flows, a little few more movies, you know by Black people. Um, I mean, just look at what we're seeing this year. There's it's a much more diverse group of films, and I think you know when it comes to the awards, all of that makes a difference. It all you know not that you the Oscars are the be all end all, but it's it's important for people to see that. I think what you do also as, you know, programming film festivals, it must feel really gratifying that you are able to, you can be the curator. You can be the gatekeeper in a way, like the one who, or who the gate opener. 
Yes. Maybe is a better way to put it. Gate opener. I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's totally. Um, I that is exactly what you. That's the the real rewarding part of it is you know curation. It's like oh, this movie is about these bicyclists in East LA, and they're a bunch of women, and and they're you know just like this is something so different. And this movie is set in Nicaragua. You know, I mean, there's just all these different things that you're bring, you're you're helping to sort of expand the awareness of people, expand their horizons. And the last few film festivals, like when I was working at Mendocino, I always made it a point, 50% of the movies are by women or, you know, BIPOC. And it's, uh, it's, it is really gratifying. That's yeah. great. So where can we find you, Claudia? Claudia Puig, my amazing guest and friend. So happy to have you on the podcast. Where can we find you on the socials, as they say, or wherever <laughs> and tapes are sold? Where can we find Yes. <laughs> I'm at Claudia Puig. It's pretty easy on Twitter. So just at my name and uh, Instagram, it's Claudia, I think, underscore Puig, underscore. I'm on Facebook. I'm on all those LinkedIn, you know, all the at a store near you. No, <laughs> wherever you, wherever you look. That's great. I love it, Claudia. Thank you so much for your insights today. Uh, I definitely would love to have you back when we're back to somewhat more normal and see what changes have actually been made in terms of film festivals, virtual versus real and how that's all changing. I'd be my pleasure. I can't wait to do that. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much, Claudia, for being on many screens. Big picture. Oh, thank you, Paul. It's, it's my pleasure. It was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> 